0: I'll be reading John 15, 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes me, that it may bear more fruit.
1: Good evening. It's great to see each and every one of you, and it's been on my bucket list for 17 years to do a David Shannon-style introduction. Uh, tonight, I'd like to talk about a couple different things, and the first thing is, as somebody that's grown up in the United States of America, gone through high school, there's this uh, this universal feeling, you know, people my age have anywhere from middle school up to college, and we give that feeling a term called adolescence. Um, It's a feeling that, hey, I live under my parents' household. I don't have a care in the world. You know, my biggest responsibility is taking the trash and the dog out. So in my free time, I'll go do crazy stuff with my friends, you know, get involved with things I don't need to get involved with. And um, in my Wednesday night class, James Beckham is my teacher, and multiple times I've heard from him that as a Christian, you don't get a break. You're, I mean, we don't we don't have bad lives, but you know it's not the same things that our friends are doing. Maybe we don't get a vacation from being a Christian. We're a Christian seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, if everybody would open their Bibles up to Acts nine, we're going to talk about Saul tonight. I'm sure we're pretty familiar with this story. Probably heard it when you were young, or might have been something you remembered from here and even when you were older uh we'll start in verse 1 and Saul is it's an it's an interesting story I think because he comes from somebody that was so corrupt to somebody that was one of the most influential influential Christians in the the first part of the uh in the first century Verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this is Saul when he's still in his bad stage. He was, he was on his way to Damascus to uh, go to the synagogues and he was looking for Christians so that he could kill them. It says, specifically says that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So Saul meant business. Uh, verses 3 through 9, we won't read those, but that's the part that we know. He was walking down the road. Uh, he was blinded by the light. And the Lord, the Lord spoke with him. And the Lord um, commanded him to go to Damascus because the Lord, he was now for the Lord now. Uh, verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12, we'll read those. Now there's a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias... And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he may receive his sight. So Ananias is one of the Lord's disciples, and God commanded him to go to Saul and put his hand on him, and Saul would receive his sight, and Saul would realize that uh, now Saul is a disciple for the Lord. Um, And going through Ananias' mind right now is probably something along the lines of, God, you are crazy. This man, he walks down the street and tells people that he wants to kill people like me. So why do I want to go? You're crazy. Verses 13 through 14 then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jer- Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He told the Lord, he said, this guy, he can take me and he's, he'll tie me up and take me to Jerusalem. And There's no telling what's going to happen to me. Who in here would say that they have a reputation? It might be good or bad. You have some kind of a reputation. Um... I didn't realize that I had a reputation until recently. Um, at school, Mondays, we all see all my friends back, and we're all talking, you know, what'd you do this weekend, what'd you do this weekend? Usually, I was either working or hunting or fishing or something, go to church on Sundays, and the, some some of my friends, they, their replies would be, oh, yeah, I was at so-and-so's, it was a crazy party. Man, you should have been there, this and that. But And then, eventually, I... I, I would ask said, man, you should have called me. But they, they all tell me, hey, man, you know, you t- we don't really invite you because, you know, you told us that you don't drink and you're not, you don't really like all that kind of stuff. And I, I respect that about those people, they, that they respect my beliefs. And I didn't realize until then that I had a reputation for being somebody like that. So it's not a bad, a bad deal to have a reputation. Um. Saul, however, had a reputation that was not so good. He was a murderer. He stoned Christians. And I, I, I didn't think about it until I put it into terms of today. Saul hated Christians. And the way I thought about it was, say, a terrorist walked in here. I, You know, I don't really, it wouldn't be someone that I, that I would like to meet. But I don't think I would have the courage that if I had a rock and he was tied down... I couldn't throw a rock at him just because he's a person. I don't know. That's just me. Maybe you're different. But Saul, you know, he had stoned many people. So Saul meant business. But verse 15, this is after, this is after the Lord and Ananias were talking and the Lord had commanded him to go and meet Saul and to, get, to help Saul receive his sight. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. All this talk beforehand, Ananias knew Saul's reputation. But verse 15, God tells Ananias, I have a plan for him. He is a chosen vessel of mine, and he will bear my name before Gentiles, kings, queens, everybody. So God has a plan for him. He has a plan for everybody. Saul is a chosen vessel for the Lord, was, and everybody in here is. All us seniors that are graduating, we are too. Verses 17 through 19 is where Saul receives his sight. We'll start in 17. And Ananias went his way, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there he fell from, his, fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and he was baptized. So when he had received food he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at, at Damascus. All this time that Saul was blind he, was, he hadn't eaten nor drinking so I'm sure he was a little bit hungry. And it says immediately he arose and was baptized after he saw. And It's it's just hard that you can turn around just like that, but you've seen it time and time again. People that, when they obey the Word, it's a change in their heart. In verse 20, uh, it says, Immediately he he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is a son of God. So three days ago, he was breathing threats about murder, about the disciples, about Christians. And now... Three days after that, he is preaching to people. That's just something that I find amazing. But he was a chosen vessel for God. We'll skip down to verse 29. And think back to the the whole reputation thing that he had. 29, And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. So now Saul is on the other side of all his friends. He, uh, now he was preaching, and all his friends were after Saul. His friends did not like what he was doing, and I'm sure they were breathing threats of murder against him, even though he was hanging out with them three days before. And, you know, that could be the case here. When, once, you're, once you're a baptized Christian, you, you have to change your lifestyle, and I'm sure your friends will notice. They may not tell you, but uh, they, they will notice the difference. So, all of us seniors, we're going in many different directions. Some of us are going to Arkansas, Savannah, Tennessee, Cookville, Knoxville, Gallatin, Murfreesboro. Some of us are going straight into the workforce. I might have forgotten some other people. But no matter where we go, we are all chosen vessels for God. Being a chosen vessel does not mean that you have to carry your Bible 24-7 around your campus that you're at and preach on the corners. It might be as simple as just having a reputation, a reputation that you know you don't really go to those parties, maybe that your language is cleaner than theirs. And people notice that, even the little things like that. And that's something that I've learned this year. It can be as simple as having a reputation. And I want to say one last thing. My whole 17 years that I've grown up, my dad's always told me, whatever you do, make sure that you can whistle while you can work. But even if you're digging ditches or on a uh, a trash truck, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Making if you're making big bucks or if you're making you know ditch digging dollars, it just as long as you can whistle while you can work. Thank you.
2: Good evening. I'm glad all you were able to come today. Okay, when I first heard what my topic was about from Jody, it was connected to your roots. The first thing that popped my mind was the verse Matthew 22, 37 Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The main topic I want to address tonight is love and compassion. One of the fundamental things that Jesus often told people was to love people. It may seem like a simple concept to do, but most of us would be completely fine with approaching people that we know because Um, to go to church since we are comfortable with will talk to our friends that we know but there may be situations where you might come across someone that you find is kind of annoying or your personalities might not really mix and they clash and you don't get along or for whatever reason you just don't really get along with them the Bible makes it clear that throughout the scripture that no, we're, we're supposed to show compassion to everyone, not just our friends everyone, and if you could turn to Romans twelve seventeen through 18, and it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thoughts to you whatever is honorable inside of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. And our loving attitude is meant to reflect God's love and to glorify him so they can know God's love. I mean, if someone hits you across the face, you're not supposed to retaliate hit them back. We're supposed to turn the other cheek. And back when soldiers asked people to carry their stuff for a mile, you should do, and do them an extra and go two miles. And whatever way people wrong you, you should always reimburse, reimburse them of kindness. Okay, here's an analogy. Imagine this, what if it was Halloween every day? I'm not talking about all the scary stuff or dressing up in costumes, but I'm talking about that one day, the atmosphere's different, where globally communities are connected together, people can walk the streets with their families and go to anyone's house, and they can get candy and kindness. Pretty good combo. And a stranger could be like, hey, I like whatever, whatever you're wearing because tall when you look different and why is it so easy to be nice to people on one particular day instead of the other 300 days of the year? What would it look like if everyone showed compassion and were connected to each other? Isn't it interesting that Jesus never stayed in one place? He was always meandering around showing compassion to everyone and Jesus made a priority to meet with um, everyone even the people that no one would actually expect like the tax collectors the sick the sinners or even a Samaritan woman okay if you could turn to first Corinthians 12:18 through 19 but now God has set the members each one of them in the body just as he pleased and if they were one member where would the body be every part of the body is equally vitally important to the body the other day on a retreat when i was playing frisbee playing cats with frisbee someone threw a frisbee and it broke the nail of my thumb you might be thinking how um Something so small and insignificant wouldn't really make it much of a difference. But the next time I shook someone's hand, I just realized it was a reflex to use my other hand. And when I was eating Cocoa Puffs for breakfast, I realized I couldn't eat the same, and I kind of looked ridiculous holding my spoon. And when my friend fell down, I kind of just left him there and asked someone else to help him because there's nothing I could do. So when a small part of me was dysfunctional, it, it prevented me from doing that many things. And isn't it incredible that God was able to design people with bodies that doctors have to spend years in medical school just to understand the complex, complexities of it? The main point I'm trying to get across is every part of the body is important, matters to the body. What do you think will happen if love stopped existing? And if someone never had the opportunity to be shown compassion, could you imagine what kind of person that would be like? The chances are there's probably someone in this room that could be having a bad day today because of fill in the blank. You might be thinking, there's so many people in, in this room, I don't actually know like half the people here. When you think of people in the hundreds or thousands or millions that are suffering, You only, most of the time, you see, wow, that's a really big number. But did you know God knows all those billions of people in the world by name? How sad would it be if they never had the opportunity to know God and they never were able to go to church, and most importantly, they they missed out on God's eternal reward of heaven. We would lose all the valuable experience of being around them and I know everyone here has a talent that makes them unique, and I'm not entirely sure what you can contribute. But the next person you reach out to could make, could change everything for you or for them. A verse I want to flip to is First John 3:16 through 17. So that's going to be near the back of the book. First John 3:16 through 17. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees brother in need and shuts up his heart for him, how does the love of God abide in him? A story of how I was showed compassion back in freshman year of high school when I was back in Bible class as a freshman. I was probably, I guess, a lot shorter, but I just. Re- I didn't really have that many friends at that time in that class, and for some reason, I just remember every day, this one person would go up to me and say something simple like, hey, what's up, how's it going, while my teacher was usually setting up for class. And that pretty much continued for the rest of of the entire year. And I really appreciate simple acts of kindness like that. And one day, I was just thinking, that person was a Christian, right? If I go to church, I'll probably meet some nice people like they were. And conveniently, a day or two later, someone invited my brother to go to church. And after he got an invite, I was like, oh, I might as well just go, come here. So, Anyway, after I came here in February, as soon as I walked into the door, I just realized how welcoming everyone was. And I was a stranger, I don't know any of you, so I was kind of confused. But after just seeing how welcoming everyone was, I decided I would come back again, maybe just once or twice, and then I came back like every single time, and never actually left. I'm always here, <laughs> but eventually, after coming here, most like every single Wednesday and Sunday, or to every youth event, they actually asked me to speak up here. So that's how I got here, speaking to all you guys now. And I want to close with this one challenge. is to show compassion to someone you meet today. That's it.
1: song before uh, Ben offers the invitation will be um, victory champ. We'll sing the verse, first two verses, and uh, in the third verse, we'll go up a half step. Hail Jesus, you're my King, your life frees me to sing.
0: country music fans will recognize that as the punchline in Jake Owens' song, "What well, We Ain't Got it. It's his most recent single that has been released. I didn't really fully love this song until I saw it performed uh, at his concert. The whole concert had been flashing lights and, and loud drums and music. And then when it came time for this song, he slowed it down. All the lights went down except for one spotlight. He sat there on a stool with just his guitar and played this song. As he sang uh, this song about how we all want what we don't have, we all want more than what we have, and how we want a bigger house and a faster car, and how there's greener grass in the neighbor's yard, it really began to touch me, and I immediately began to relate to it. And I think every single one of us can relate to that song. We all want something more than what we have. It's just natural human instinct. If you would go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Numbers 13, we'll be starting there this evening. Um, we'll come back to the song later and you'll understand why I began mentioning uh, with that, I began talking with that song this evening. Um, well, we're, about to, it's, we're about to talk about the spies being sent to Canaan. Many of us know this story um, fairly well. So we're not gonna spend a lot of time just reading through the story. It's a pretty long story. So I'm going to quickly skip around verses um, in this story. So if you just uh, follow along in your Bibles, uh, it should go pretty smoothly. I'm gonna take certain points um, from it uh, to help us to relate to someone in the story. In verse 1, we'll start. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. And then to verse 8. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea the son of Nun. And then to verse 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them up to spout the land of Canaan and said to them, go into ne- Negev and go into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. Verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebo Hamath. Verse 27. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. In verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. And then if you go on to the next chapter in chapter 14 in verse 36. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. The men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spout the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Zephaniah, remained alive. Now that was a lot of just pinpointing passages in the word in in, in this longer portion of scripture. But right here, I really want us to notice a character who we meet. We meet Joshua and immediately, especially when you read the full story, but even here we can kind of get an idea who Joshua is. Two things immediately stand out to me. One, I understand that Joshua is a leader. Joshua has suddenly been chosen from thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelites to be one of 12 that are gonna go and be one of Moses' spies. Moses, the one who talks directly to God and who is directly God's servant. He's one of Moses' spies to go into the land. So we learn that Joshua is a leader. And and two, we learn that Joshua doesn't care what others think about him. He doesn't care what the people of Israel think. He doesn't care what all the other spies think. He is going to stick to God no matter what everyone else says. This evening, Jody gave me the, uh, the topic of speaking about living our lives in full with God. And I thought, I was thinking through characters in the Bible and I thought, who lived this out near perfectly? And I thought about Joshua. I thought about uh, the verse later on when it's giving the speech to Israel. And so I kind of went through the book of Joshua the other day and pinpointed special things in Joshua's life that are standouts. I'm gonna go through them really quickly. Uh, just just some things that I noticed. He was chosen by Moses to spy out the land. He was chosen to lead the Israelites after Moses. He gave instructions on the Israelites crossing the Jordan. We see an angel approach Joshua and talk to him. Joshua led the fall of Jericho. Joshua found trouble in the camp and proceeded to take care of it when Achan had stolen things from Jericho. Joshua asked the sun to stand still, and it did. He executed five of the Amorites kings. He took over all of Southern Canaan and then came back and took over all of Northern Canaan. He divided the tribes with their land and he gave a powerful charge to all the leaders of Israel. And then he gave a speech to all of Israel that we'll talk a little bit about later. That's a really long list of things. And the thing about it is, is, that I could have kept going. I could have named a lot more things on the list of what Joshua did with his life. But hear me now, because I think this is key in the life of Joshua. None of it, and I mean none of it, would have been possible had he not been following God. God was with him the whole way because he stuck with God. His whole life, from his birth to his death, was a thing where he was following God, so God helped him out. You know, in your life, maybe you need to work on the same thing. I know I do. It's a thing where we go through life and, and we see something that's not godly, but it's fun, so we still go do it. Or we have a chance to do something else here and we do it. Or maybe we're caught up um, in, in things that aren't as godly in our, in our lives. We all go through that type of thing, but Joshua lived an example of a life when he went throughout his whole life in following God. All I want is what I had. I'd trade it all just to get her back. She's moving on, but I guess I'm not. Yeah, we all want what we ain't got. I wanted the world till my whole world stopped. You know, a love like that and easily forgot. I guess we all want what we ain't got. Yeah, we all want what we ain't got. As I read the last two choruses to that song that I mentioned earlier, you can realize that the song has all along been talking about a girl. Sure, he has all these possessions uh, that that he wants and how a lot of us want these possessions, but we see in the chorus that he would be willing to give all of those up so he could have this girl back in his life. He would give every single little detail to have her. Isn't it interesting that we as Christians in our lives live pretty much the same thing, except not physically, but in the spiritual sense. If we are living of this world and have everything but aren't following Jesus, we have lost the one thing that matters. We've lost Christ. See, a lot of times we like to think, you know, we can mix it in. Have a, have a little bit of everything. Have some Jesus here and, and some other things here. And it's all right, you know, to have fun every once in a while. But suddenly we are faced with the fact that a lot of us don't balance it evenly. We have to live our lives in a way where it's giving all for Jesus. We have to be willing to give it all to get Jesus to, give it, to bring him back to us. The greatest thing about Jesus, too, is that no matter what, he's going to come back to us. We can repent, we can turn our lives back to him, and he'll come back to us. In Joshua chapter 24, we see that Joshua is addressing the Israelites. In verse 14, he he starts to talk to them, and I'm sure so many of us know these verses and have them memorized. It says, Now therefore, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. This is Joshua talking to the Israelites. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We see Joshua give a charge to the Israelites here. We see him say, you know what? Y'all can follow these gods of the river, but don't do that. Don't follow the gods of the people back there because you have God here and God is the most powerful creator ever. We couldn't imagine anything better than him. And we see Joshua commit himself first, into a life with God. And then we see him commit his family to a life with God. Have you started your walk uh, with God? Hopefully you have. Hopefully you made that decision and you have wanted to start living a life with God this evening. Maybe you haven't. We'd love to give you that chance this evening to be baptized, to start walking with God, living your entire life with Him. Or maybe you've already started following God. And you realize that in your life, possessions have truly taken over. Maybe not even possessions, maybe a certain someone or a certain something has taken over in your life. Maybe it's time to turn away from those things and start once again living your life with Jesus Christ.
1: If we can help you in any way this evening, please come as we stand and as we sing.